0: Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to wwwpurevoicecom forward slash YES. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Gilead Sciences, Incorporated. Welcome to this Pure Voice panel discussion on hepatitis delta virus. This activity comprises two presentations featuring doctors Graham Foster, Georgios Papathiodoridis and Heiner Wiedemeyer. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, I'm Professor Graham Foster from Queen Mary University of London. I'm joined by my two good colleagues, Heiner Wiedemeyer from Hanover Medical School in Germany and Georgios Papathiodoridis from the University of Athens. Today, we're going to talk about the problem of double infection, hepatitis B and hepatitis delta. I'm sure, gentlemen, I don't need to remind you of the importance of the topic and the global consequence of hepatitis delta infection. We know there are some 12 million people estimated to be infected, and in people who have hepatitis B, we think around 4 to 5% are also carrying the delta virus. So the question to our colleagues is really, who's at risk of this infection, who should we be screening, and how? George, who should we be looking to who's most likely to be carrying the Delta virus?
1: Thank you, Graham. Individuals who are at higher risk for Delta infections are certainly those who have repeated chances to be exposed parentarily or sexually to the virus, meaning parenteral drug users, commercial sex workers, men having sex with men, HIV-positive patients, in the past, I would say hemodialysis and multi patients. HCV positive patients are also reported to have higher prevalence of delta. Prevalence is higher in all HBs antigen positive patients with cirrhosis and/or hepatocellular carcinoma compared to HBs antigen positive patients with earlier stages of liver disease. Immigrants coming from countries of high HPV and delta endemicity are also a high-risk group.
0: That's a very good point. We need to be thinking about people with more aggressive liver disease. Presumably then in the transplant centers, there's a lot of hepatitis delta around.
1: The number of patients with delta infection who need liver transplantation, I would say it has remained stable over the last decades, while their relative proportion to B monoinfected patients has increased. As patients with HPV monoinfection do not reach liver decompensation with current antiviral therapies, George, I think that's a really
0: important point, that if you see someone with hepatitis B, nine times out of 10, we can get the virus under control. They won't progress to transplantation. If they are progressing, that's highly likely to be a delta virus superinfection or a co-infection. But of course, it's not just decompensated cirrhosis we're worried about. We know that Delta causes a lot of malignancy. Heiner, are we seeing a lot more cancers from Delta virus or are they dying from their liver
2: failure? Thank you very much, Graham, for this question. What well, we have learned over the last three, four, five years that Delta per se is also increasing the risk for liver cancer. And this is uh, quite substantial. In different cohorts we have seen a variety of meta-analysis and, and they showed really that delta increases the risk for liver cancer at least twofold in some distinct risk groups, for example HIV, HBV, HDV, triple infected patients. This risk was even six-fold increase, which I think is important. The question if the HDB genotype also leads to different risks for liver cancer. This is under debate right now, and we lack final data at this stage. From what I understand, screening for Delta
0: is pretty unusual, and we're probably missing far too many cases. George, do you think we're doing enough Delta screening?
1: We definitely don't do enough Delta screening, and I'm convinced that we're missing cases. There is no doubt that the screening rates of HBS and positive patients are low, below 30%, even in well-known academic centers. For me, the main reason is that the physicians forget to screen. They forget to recommend screening to their HBS and positive patients.
0: So you're blaming us, George. I think that's very brave, but I think you're right. It's us who fill out the forms for surface antigen testing. And when we see a positive, we've got to reflexly ask for Delta testing. Heine, you mentioned Uzbekistan it seems to have a disproportionate
2: burden of Delta virus. Is that right? That's absolutely right and Mario Rizzetto, who actually identified the Delta virus four decades ago, he uh, has been working with some colleagues in Uzbekistan and it's really remarkable and in that study 80% of hepatitis B patients with liver cirrhosis were found to have HDV antibodies and that increased over time in recent years while the overall prevalence of HPV mono infection declined. And Uzbekistan is just one example. This is really a global disease, isn't
0: it? And we've seen with the coronavirus pandemic, of course, that if you ignore one country, it washes up on your shores sooner or later. Can we just go back to this issue of testing Heine, should we be doing more with our laboratories to insist that everyone with surface antigen gets a delta test?
2: We have been interested in hepatitis D virus infection for decades at Hanover Medical School. And just this morning, I saw a hepatitis B patient with elevated liver enzymes that has been followed in our department for more than 10 years. And nobody has ever tested this person for Delta. I was furious and I blamed the fellows, but we have to rethink. And a way around would be reflex testing. We have to train our diagnostic people in the labs that Delta is a problem. In an ideal setting, first diagnosis B, reflex testing and THTV. The second point is we have to look for HDV RNA. And until recently, and three, four, five years ago, there were a lot of in-house assays. So if you look at old data, don't trust them because the the PCR assays may have had some problems. Fortunately, we have now several commercial assays with high sensitivity, good performance across HDV genotypes available. But these assays have to be used. That's the point. We should not miss them. George, is Delta RNA testing now widely available? Is it
0: sufficiently reliable? I'm sure Heiner's lab are absolutely top-notch, but do the rest of us have easy access to reliable tests?
1: Definitely not in Greece. We have chosen one lab to which we send the samples of our Delta patients, but I'm sure that the commercially available tests, when they are widely accessible, it will offer a solution.
0: The message is very clear. If you see surface antigen positivity, you've got to get a Delta test and then you need to liaise with your laboratory to make sure you've got access to the appropriate diagnostic follow-on. So we can diagnose it. Can we do very much to treat it? Heine, you've been playing with interferon in Delta virus for many years.
2: Is this still a valuable treatment for us? The short answer is yes. We have been using interferon hepatitis B. We have been using interferon hepatitis C. We know how to use it. And we know that some patients really can benefit also in the long term here. The problem is that with interferon, we are talking about response rates of 20 to 40% when given for 48 weeks. And this is a fundamental difference to hepatitis C. A patient that is responding to interferon treatment in Delta we should not use the term SVR, sustained virological response, because we are not sure that this is really sustained. We and others have shown that late relapses, even after years, six, seven years, have been reported, and this was really a relapse with the same virus, or so no reinfection. It sounds a
0: pretty miserable course of treatment for such a low response rate. Does it help to add a nucleotide,
2: nucleoside analogue? Do they have any value here with interferon? We are treating most of our hepatitis BD co-infectious patients, for example, with tenofovir, not with the aim to reduce HDV viral load, but to control the underlying hepatitis B virus infection. So we've got a couple of
0: well-established treatments. George, what's in the offing? Have we got anything new coming through that will help us out?
1: We have a new option. Bulevertide is an agent that has much better safety and tolerability profile and fewer contraindications compared to interferon, so it can be given to greater number of Delta patients. It is given as monotherapy and is sometimes combined with tenofovir. so it induces virological responses in approximately 50% of the patients and combined virological and biochemical responses in lower proportion of patients. In studies when bulev was combined with the Gilead interferon, the rates of biological response were much higher, 80%, the substantial proportion of patients, almost 50% remained in biological and biochemical remission 24 weeks after the end of treatment, which lasted 48 weeks. So this is something promising.
0: So that's very good news that we're starting to see the emergence of highly effective therapies I know. what else have we got in the pipeline?
2: George mentioned that we have Bolivar Tide With conditional approval, a phase 3 trial is ongoing. The good news is there's also another phase 3 trial ongoing, exploring an alternative treatment option, the so-called prenylation inhibitor and lonafarnib. We have seen a variety of trials that indeed there's antiviral efficacy. You may also use it in combination with interferon. And this trial is ongoing, basically comparing monotherapy with lonathinib, which is, by the way, ritonavir-boosted, in combination with interferon versus interferon alone. I'm curious to see the data, but the good news for our patients is that there are alternatives in development.
0: Are there any markers, Heiner, that can tell us who's going to respond and who needs additional therapies? Are we getting prognostic diagnostics in development?
2: We need to personalize treatment of infectious diseases in general. In cancer, this is current practice. In Delta, we are exploring now hepatitis B markers. We, for example, explore the potential role of HPV core related antigens, which you may measure during interferon based treatment and which may give you some information whether to continue treatment. This is ongoing work, but I'm absolutely sure that in future, We will personalize treatment for each individual patient.
0: I know that's a lovely way to end on a very optimistic note. I think we've heard very clearly that we are responsible for diagnosing Delta. If our patients aren't diagnosed, it's our fault. We need to get better at testing for hepatitis Delta. When we find it, we've got drugs that are available today that are of reasonable efficacy, that give us a good chance of blocking this terrible disease progression. But the future is clearly bright with a whole platform of new agents and new diagnostics to tell us who needs which combination. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure as always. Bye for now. Hello and welcome to round two of the Delta virus discussion. I'm joined again by George Papa and my good friend Hyman Wiedemeyer. And we're going to talk a little bit about practicalities of screening for Delta virus. Who and how is the topic to address? George, this is a complicated virus, isn't it?
1: You are right, Graham. Delta is a complicated infection, as it always requires the presence of hepatitis B virus, and patients may be infected at the same time from the same source of B and delta viruses, and then we have the co-infection infections usually follow a sense-limited course with recovery from both viruses, although the course during the acute phase may be severe, more frequently than in B-monoinfection, and the risk of severe acute and even fulminant hepatitis is higher in such patients, particularly paradigm drug users with often pre-existing chronic ACV infections, or three infections at the same time. When delta infects a patient with pre-existing chronic B infection, then we have delta superinfection, which may also have a severe cause during the acute delta phase, depending on the severity of the pre-existing chronic HBV infection, particularly if the patient had already cirrhosis from hepatitis B. Delta superinfection usually progresses to chronicity, and there is no recovery here, and usually they have a more rapid progression to advanced stages of chronic liver disease,
0: That's a really very important point, isn't it? Whatever the complexities of the mechanism of infection, whether it's co, whether it's super, if you have both viruses, you're more likely to get aggressive disease. And I think that's an important take home, isn't it? So, Heimer, how do we diagnose Delta?
2: I think the most important message to be given to all of our colleagues is that every HBS antigen positive patient needs to be tested at least once for NTHDV. And this antibody testing is good. It's, it's a very well standardized assays. What is important, not every NTHDV positive patient is actually HDV RNA positive. So even if a patient has been tested positive for NTHDV, some patients may have lost the virus and therefore RNA testing is required. Once RNA testing has been then performed, you can have either undetectable or detectable results, but then we should do our homework being hepatologists. So we need to test for liver enzymes. And I still believe in liver enzymes because an elevated liver enzyme is not a good thing in the long term. Based on RNA testing and ALT, we then have to decide if we go for additional testing, for example, liver elastography, whether we biopsy a patient. Finally, you have to make up your mind if this patient is actually a candidate for antiviral treatment and we have the interferon, we have bolivitide as an approved treatment and maybe some emerging treatments. The problem is that which each step I was describing right now, you first have to think about hepatitis B, you have to send your sample to the lab, then you have to think for anti-HDV testing, you have to go for HDV RNA, you may need to call the patient back, and so on and so on. In each step of this cascade, you're losing patients. We have been thinking in the field for quite a long time to what extent we can avoid losing patients in this cascade of care, The first step is simply to introduce reflex testing, meaning that if I have a patient first time diagnosis, HPS antigen positivity, that this patient is immediately testing automatic testing for HDV antibodies. And if an antibody result is positive, I should introduce immediate testing for HDV RNA. This would really be a major step forward in the management of Delta that we don't lose this patient. There was a study published quite some years ago where they performed this reflex testing and obviously they diagnosed many, many more patients as compared to the standard provider-based stepwise approach. Automated steps are very important not to lose patients in this case.
1: You make
0: a very good point, Heiner. We as consultants and slightly arrogant physicians think we know it all, so we make our decisions on the who. The people you know who are really good about doing things automatically are the GPs, the primary care colleagues and the nurses, because they just follow the same steps every time. At Georgia in Greece, you have a lot of hepatitis B. Do you allow your primary care physicians to automate testing and go on to do delta testing, or do they have to be referred into specialist centers?
1: Well, they can ask for delta test if they think of it, but there is no automatic testing
0: That's really the mistake, isn't it? We need to change the mindset that says, if you see surface antigen, you need to see a delta antibody before you're confident that you've dealt with that patient's diagnostic need. We need to change our approach, don't we?
1: Let's start with a pathologist first.
0: George, you're very right. Those are the guys we can engage with. So let's talk to our colleagues and make sure they do the right things. There's a lot of this virus around, probably more than we realize. What can we do to stop transmission?
1: Ideally, the strategy to prevent Delta infection relies on HPV vaccination. Given that the universal infant immunization programs for HPV have been adopted in most countries around the globe for at least two decades now, Delta prevalence has dramatically decreased in children and young adults. At the same time, improvements in socioeconomic status, living conditions, healthcare systems in endemic, low-income regions with high B and Delta prevalence, and HPV vaccinations of high-risk groups in developed countries are very important. Many of those strategies I just mentioned, including HPV vaccination, are not useful for the existing HPV carriers. In developed countries, increased awareness and reduction programs are very useful and are required to prevent the spread of Delta infection among the high risk groups in our countries. So, this is also important.
0: I think that's a really important message that we need to take home, isn't it? If you're an injection drug user with hepatitis B, you are vulnerable to Delta. And maybe we need to be a little sharper on our needle exchange programs. Heiner, are you seeing in Germany a problem with Delta virus in your injecting drug user population, or is your needle exchange program keeping it under control?
2: Historically, Delta was highly prevalent in drug users, but indeed with the introduction of needle sharing programs, this fortunately is no longer a major problem. I think the most important point to prevent transmission of the virus is that we detect potential carriers. Everything starts, in my view, with testing. And then we are coming back to the point, which are the patients infected with Delta. We're talking about immigrant populations, we're talking about former drug users, and we're talking about persons where communication is not necessarily always easy. This morning, another patient I saw in my outpatient clinic I had to look for a translator because it was impossible to explain the consequences of the infection to this patient. George, what are the messages we need to get across? If we
0: got that critical 10 minutes with an interpreter, what are the two or three key pieces of information we need to give our patients with Delta virus?
1: I think uh, the most important message is that they're infected with a virus that can be very serious, can progress to advanced stages of liver disease very fast. For the diagnosed patients, we have to stress the importance of the proper and regular follow-up and the need for treatment when the indications develop. If they understand how serious Delta can be, I think that the patients will remain under follow-up.
0: Gentlemen, that's really been... Very instructive. I think some key messages coming out here aren't there. We need to do more Delta testing. We need to make sure our colleagues understand the importance and do it routinely. I love the idea, Heiner, of getting a reflex so the laboratory takes the responsibility and that must be the way forward. Once we diagnose these patients, we need to make sure they understand the seriousness, they understand the significance, and most importantly, they understand the need to protect their partners, protect the people that they're perhaps sharing injecting equipment with. We need to be a little bit smarter, making sure everyone gets vaccinated, but we shouldn't be lulled into a false sense of security. Even a vaccinated hepatitis B person who's already got hepatitis B is not protected from Delta. So we need to be vigilant. Gentlemen, been a real pleasure as always. I look forward to the next chat. Bye for now. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.